Welcome to the Central Christian Church Message Podcast. We are passionate about leading people to discover and fully own faith in Jesus. It is our desire that the following message inspires you to take your next steps in your own faith. Let's dive in. Well, good morning to each and every one of you and welcome and uh, welcome to those of you who are on any of our other sites or watching this on the internet. It is great to have you with us this morning. And uh, I want to begin by just simply saying that uh, I love this church. And uh, one of the things that I, I love about this church is, you know, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. And uh, if there was one charge that all of us would be like, we were supposed to get loud and clear, is that loving others is a non-negotiable. Now, unfortunately, in the world of the church, uh, the church is not always known for being loving. So at, at this church, one of the things that we've done is we've just determined uh, that we're going to love the beyond. And when we say love beyond, the beyond means a whole lot, beyond people's expectation, beyond reason, beyond logic. We're going to love people that other people would go, that's ridiculous, and one of the current applications of us as a church on this whole thing, trying to do this the way we think Jesus wants it done, is what we're doing right now with fill the sleigh. Uh, it makes no logical sense for me to stand in front of you and plead with you to give gifts to kids that are not your kids. It's illogical. It's extreme. Who would do that? But that's what makes our church our church. And uh, the reason I'm mentioning all this is this is the last weekend before we distribute these gifts. And if you haven't had a chance, I just want to plead with you before I get to going on the message, uh, we have until tomorrow to take care of this. And so I just plead with you now, how it works is we partner with local schools to determine who are the needy among us. It's not an in-church project, it's an out-of-church project. And so we just ask, who needs help? And then illogically, we go, we got them, we got them covered. And... Uh, the, the parents become the heroes, not the church, not you, not me, but we get to make a difference. So it's illogical. And I plead with you, be illogical for Jesus. Love beyond. And so uh, if, if you go, I don't have time to go shopping, uh, you, can, you can give a financial gift and you can just designate it, fill the sleigh. And then we have people who will shop for you to get those gifts and get them delivered. But all that's to say, we're at the deadline and I, I want to really, really, really plead with you and encourage you. Let's make a difference. And again, I mean this to all campuses everywhere, okay? And even if you're online, help with this project. It makes a difference. It's what the church ought to be doing. So enough said about that. So I loved waking up this morning. I loved yesterday, uh, but I loved waking up this morning to the rain. And I loved it driving to church today, knowing that today we begin our Christmas series. And I mean, I'm like, literally, I'm praising God going, thank you, God, because this feels to me like Christmas. This feels exactly like it ought to feel. And so we do begin today. And uh, I, I'm always excited to begin a new series because I, I just work on it ahead of time and I get anxious and so I can't wait to get going. I want to begin our Christmas series, so I want to ask you, I'm going to do this very quickly. I'm just going to ask you some awkward questions. They're going to be kind of weird. Not, don't need to answer out loud. You don't need to tell your significant other, your wife, your spouse, whoever. Um, but just answer the question to yourself. So four questions are going to come quick. Uh, here they are. Number one, how much do you personally 
and genuinely believe in God? It's an awkward question. It's really easy to say a whole lot or, you know, and it was from a scale from number one, I don't, all the way to 10, I'm all in. Just evaluate yourself. Where are you? And it doesn't matter if you're a one and you're here. You're here. That's awesome. We're not here to condemn you in any way, but where everybody falls somewhere in that spectrum. Where do you fall? All right. And just hold that in your head. Um, second question, do the day-to-day decisions that you make validate that claim you just made? In other words, would somebody connect your answer to the first question with the decisions they see you make on a daily basis? Which takes us to the third question, which is in essence the same one. Would the people who know you best agree with how you answered on yourself? If the people who knew you best would they go, yeah, that was fair. You, you said you're an eight on the belief scale, scale, and I see your decisions on a day-to-day. Your faith makes a lot of difference to you, and yeah, I see a consistency. Or would they say, you know, they would say they're an eight, their day-to-day decisions are a two. That's what we're looking at, all right? And then the fourth question, and this is where it's going to seem odd, but I'm going to ask this question. In what ways, if any, does the biblical account of the Christmas story affect your faith? So when you hear what happened in the Bible about the birth of Jesus, does that do anything to build your faith or does that do anything to destroy your faith? Does it make any difference? You go, I could do without it. Or, does you go, or, or do you go, that story makes a huge difference because if God did that, and you know, and you would go from there. So the series that we're starting today for Christmas, we're calling it, Would You Believe? Would you believe? And, 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 and really, I'm just, in the weeks to come, I just want to challenge your belief in God. And I want to interpret it through the Christmas story and all the incredible parts of the Christmas story. What, what I have personally found from my own experience is the Christmas story for many people is kind of a make it or break it. In other words, if you, if you have faith and then you hit the Christmas story, it's either going to embolden your faith or it's going to just undermine it. And let me explain why. Because there's elements in the Christmas story that you don't get anywhere else. There's elements in the Christmas story that, quite frankly, are a bit unbelievable. Now, let me preface what I'm about to say by saying I fully believe them. I'm bought in. I am in. But I understand that these elements are a little bit unbelievable and we can't I mean, come on, you can't get around this. First and foremost, to the unbelievable part of the Christmas story is the whole premise that God, the creator of the universe, would actually lower himself to become one of us, a human being. That God, call it the incarnation, that God would take on flesh and bones like you and me. Why would he do that? So that's incredible, uh, pushes the limit of credibility, the second incredible thing about the story of the birth of Jesus is that he, if God was going to become one of us, why would he become one of us like one of us became one of us, like a baby? Like, if I were God, I'd skip the whole baby stage, skip the diaper rash, skip all of that, you know, just skip all, like come older and like developed, but he didn't do that. That's incredible that he didn't do that. That's hard to believe. But the most incredible part of the story is not that God became a person or that he became one of us like one of us. It's that he was born of a virgin. 
Now, let me repeat what I've already said. I believe it was born of a virgin. I'm not up here going, I think, yeah, we were sold that one. I fully believe it was born of a virgin. It doesn't blow my faith to think about Jesus. God's supposed to do stuff like that. If God doesn't do stuff like that, why would I believe in God? I expect God to do stuff that I can't do or that doesn't make sense. It's a part of the story of my faith in God. If I could explain everything God did in explainable terms with no supernatural needed, I don't need God. So none of this blows my faith. It doesn't blow my mind. But I'm asking what could, uh, what does it do to you? And so let me say it this way. Let me say it this way. Did God put these unbelievable elements into the story to cause you to not believe in him? So, so God literally did this stuff so ultimately you would go yeah i don't believe in him because of that or did god put these elements in there so that you would be forced to think about how much do you really believe in god bingo that's what i think he did i I think he put these elements in there so you would go wow if he could do that if he could do that i don't think he did that so that you would go i don't think god can do stuff like that I think he did it so that you would go, if he could do that, what else could he do? I want to just jump in. I want to extract one of the verses in the Christmas story. And by the way, uh, the Christmas story, if you want to know where this is in the Bible, take the Gospel of Matthew, first couple of chapters, take the first couple of chapters of the book of Luke and read those, and you're going to hear Two of the four biographers of Jesus, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four biographers of Jesus. They all tell the story of the life of Jesus. But Matthew and Luke are the ones that give us the details of the birth. But in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, Mary, as, pro- is, as she's processing all that God is saying is going to happen, she, this line comes out, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. And that's an important element to the would you believe the Christmas story. If God is God, should what we call possible be the limit to what God could do? Or should God be able to do the impossible? It's impossible. And so in the story of the birth of Jesus, with God, all things are possible. You kind of have to give that as a given. Jesus, as he grew up, he made this statement in Luke 18, What is impossible with man is possible with God. But see, would you believe, because if you don't think things that are not possible with men, now you got to follow me here, you go, that's just not possible. If a man can't do it, if mankind, if humanity can't do it, does that mean God can't do it? Is the limit of the possible limited to man? Or is the impossible limited? credited to God. These are why this story means so much. So in the series that we're going to take tackle for the next five weeks, starting today, we're going to just talk about the objections that people have to the story. In other words, the things that cause people to go, you know, it makes me not believe in God. And we're going to look at them. And and again, I, I think it's going to be a thrilling ride. So today, what I want to talk about is I want to talk about the fact that the story of the birth of Jesus, if you understand the story, uh, the, the objection is, 
would you believe in God even if it looks like it took forever to actually come about? Even if it took forever, would you still be able to believe in God? Or if God doesn't do it fast and quick, does that suspend all your belief in him? Because what I want to show you is that the story of the birth of Jesus is a slow burn. It is not a quick fire. And the problem is, is that especially this time of year, we get going so fast. We're so busy. And we expect God to move at our pace. And I'm just here to tell you, even if it took forever, could you still believe? Or would it be, if it doesn't happen as fast as I move, could God move slower than you move on purpose? And could you be moving too fast to your own detriment? These are questions I want us to wrestle with. So we're going to talk today about God's timing. And the question we want to answer is this question. Why does God seem to move so slowly? Because I'm just telling you, it seems like he moves really, really slowly. Now, let me just dive in here. If I say, hey, wait up. Or, hey, hurry up and wait. You know exactly what I'm saying when I say those terms. Waiting is a huge part of our lives. And let me be the first to tell you, I hate waiting. And I know I'm not alone. I'm not abnormal. I'm not weird. I don't like waiting. Waiting is not one of my more pleasant pastimes. The the recent, uh, my screw up with my leg, my ankle, has just made this vivid to me. Uh, I hurt myself with my leg. I hurt myself about the middle of September. It took me about two weeks. It took me a week to convince myself I actually have to go to a doctor because I'm like that. And then it took me another week to get in. I had to wait another week before I could actually go see a doctor about this thing. And I was under the impression when I first mentioned that I hurt my leg because I showed up here one day with a boot. And I said, I'm going to say it one time. I'm going to explain this one time. And, but when I said that day, what I said that day, I thought I was going to have surgery on my foot the next week. When I said that, that's what I thought. I, I said, how often do you do surgery? He said, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I'm going, I'll pick Friday. I had no idea. I hurt myself September 15th. I had surgery. The soonest I could have it was November 14th. That's like six weeks after I went to the doctor, I was wearing this boot that he put me in, waiting for an opening to have the surgery. Now, part of that was on me and my schedule. I'll own that. But I, I, the thought about next Friday having it done when I first said that, that was crazy. I just didn't know it. I had a long wait. So two weeks ago, almost three weeks ago now, it would be three weeks tomorrow, I had surgery on my foot. Finally, I had to reatta- they had to reattach a tendon that I had severed. And then he said this to me. He said, Cal, you're going to have to be off your feet totally for two weeks. (laughs) There's no way. There's not a chance I'm off my feet for two weeks. And he said, you're not going to heal. So I endured two weeks off my feet as best as I was able. Okay. Then I went back to the doctor earlier this week. Would be last week now. I got my stitches out. Are we good? We done? Oh, no. You got about six weeks of rehabilitation now to go through. And you're back in your boot. I kind of just tell you, this is killing me. So I'm telling you this to say, I, I'm not a model patient of waiting, all right? I don't like to wait. And, and again, I'm not normal. We, 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 
don't like waiting. If you think you like waiting, gas lines at Sam's Club and Costco. <laughs> you go, oh, I oh, I'm so sorry, I gotta pull up to the pump. I just wanted to sit here longer. Oh no, please, you go, behind me, go. Of course you don't do that. You don't do that in a grocery store. Think Walmart. Think the lines. You got, how many people are in front of me? This is the story of us. We don't like waiting. I don't like waiting to catch a flight. And everybody knows that little you know, hubbub at the gate. I don't like that. that. I don't like waiting. Frankly, I don't like waiting in doctor's offices. It's not that I don't need to catch up with the 1993 Reader's Digest stories. But I hate the process. And I'm like, you said 8.30. Am I alone? It's 9.45 and I'm still sitting here. I don't like any of this. I, uh, I've been able to think about this enough to connect emotions. We connect emotions to having to wait. And they're extreme. They're all over. One, obviously, it would be agitation. You can get agitated when you have to wait. But you can also become fearful when you're having to wait. You're waiting for the news from the doctor about the test you took. The waiting creates the fear. The emotion of fear goes with the waiting, all right? Anxiety is an emotion we can feel. Boredom, two weeks off my feet. I built three puzzles. Do you have any idea how long it's been since I built a puzzle? I'm just bored out of my mind. Boredom. Um, helplessness, discouragement. So here's the deal. We don't like waiting. I don't like waiting. You know what all of us like least of all? Don't miss this. Waiting on God. Worst of all, waiting on God. Because we just go, it's not even necessary. God, you could just do this. Let me give you some examples, okay? I don't know where you are in this. If you're single and you've been praying that God would bring somebody into your life in a relationship, I so badly want to be in a relationship, and it's just not happening, waiting on God. God, you could do this. Why don't you just do this? If you're a couple that's trying to have a child, you're trying so hard to conceive because you want so badly to be mom and dad, and it's just not happening. Uh, you, you're suffering with some health issue. Again, you waited for the, diag you know, the diagnosis to come back, and they told you, and uh, you're pleading with God, please take this away. Take this away. And you're just waiting because there's no news. It's gone. It just seems to be there. If you are a person who desperately wants to have a meaningful job and you feel like you're stuck in a dead-end career and you've been praying, God, please open some door somewhere for me to be doing something else. If you're a person and you feel trapped in a hurting, harmful marriage and you have been praying desperately to God, fix this, please, God, fix this. It just doesn't seem to. Well, what is so painful about waiting? Let's be clear. What's so painful about waiting is waiting makes it crystal clear that you're not in control. That's the problem. Waiting causes the illusion of control to dissipate. It just goes away. There's no way. Uh, you're not calling the shots, and you're made to realize how powerless you actually are. We hate waiting because I don't want to be reminded of my limitations. Lewis Smead said this, listen carefully. He said, waiting is our destiny. 
as creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for, we wait in the darkness for a flame we cannot light. We, we wait in fear for a happy ending we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. Waiting. In any way you cut it, all right? Any way you want to look at God, I need to tell you something. God moves slowly. And this is a collision course with reality because I don't want to move slowly. I don't want things to go slow. I want them to go fast. And God goes, I don't do fast. I do slow. I, I want to just walk you through something because we're celebrating the birth of Jesus. But, you know, if you just get to the birth of Jesus, you miss what actually happened. So can I just give you some backstory, which will make what happened to Jesus in the weeks to come make more sense? You see, the story of the birth of Jesus begins about 4,000 years ago. You don't know that maybe, but it does. It begins with a guy named Abraham. A Abraham is a guy that God calls to leave his country to go to a place, now listen carefully, that I I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a land, and you're going to be you're going to be the you're going to be the father, the patriarch, and he he has no kids, but God says to him, "Okay, listen." He says, "I want you to look up in the sky, and I want you to count the stars. If you could count the stars, that's how many descendants you're going to have." Now, understand, he has no kids, but you're going to have his, you're going to have more descendants than there are stars in the sky. And then he says. Count the sands on the seashore. And if you can count them, you will have more descendants than there are sands on the seashore. So I say, oh, wow, I'm in, man. Let's go. Let's go make this happen. And so he obeys God and he, gets, he signs up. Now, I want to show you something that God said to him. And you got to see this, okay? Genesis 12 is going to come up on the screen. He said, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and, and and you will be a blessing and i will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you i will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you all peoples on earth you know what he was telling him abraham didn't understand this he's saying that the, the, the messiah that will be the hope of all people for salvation is going to come through your obeying me and going where i'm telling you to go and doing what i'm telling you to do He's promised that his seed is ultimately going to be the seed of the Messiah. Okay? Wow, how long is that going to take? Well, it's going to take a while. For all the sand on the shore and the stars and this, it's going to take a while. Now, here, here again, let me make this really practical, okay? God told him this. Now, listen, listen, this is good. He told him this when he was 75 years old. Now, I, look, I don't... I don't, I'm getting up in years, but so I'm in that. But I just got to tell you, when you're 75 and you have no kids, you got to get going. Like the clock is ticking, right? So God says at 74, 75, you're going you're gonna to be this incredible patriarch of all of these kids. And he's like, okay, let's go now. And God goes, no, wait. He became a father when he was 99. 24 years of real-time waiting. 24 years? Come on, God. 
How many of you have waited to conceive a child and you're perfectly normal age to do that? Every year that passed, he'd be going, God, what are you doing to me? It seems more and more impossible. Well, guess what? It worked itself out. So he has kids and we know those as the patriarchs. We know that one of them, uh, uh, Jacob, had these sons and 12 of them. And if you know the story about Joseph being sold into slavery, long story short, they all end up, the whole family ends up in Egypt and it's awesome until it's not awesome and then it's horrible. And they plead with God, get us out of here. And hundreds of years later, God sends Moses hundreds of years later. And so Moses comes down and, okay. And then Moses leads them across the Red Sea. You know the story, the parting of the Red Sea. And we're going to go to the promised land. Here's what I need you to understand. To walk from the Red Sea to the promised land, depending on pace, 11, 12, 13, 14 days, depending on pace. How long did it take them? 40 years. Come on. No, it's 40 years because God's working on them in the wilderness as they're going around in circles. Once they they get into the promised land, they have to wait about 400 years for a guy named David to become king. David is this incredible king. And uh, at the end of David's life, God says this to him. This is 2 Samuel 7. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be his son. He'll be my son. Now, listen, he's talking about Solomon, but more than that, he's talking about the lineage of David, of which is part of the lineage of Abraham, because David is in Abraham's lineage. He's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about Jesus, who is going to save people forever. He'll be my son. Now, for the next 400 years after David, if you know history, all, this, all his descendants did was screw things up. They screwed it up. They split the kingdom into a northern kingdom, a southern kingdom. They had all kinds of problems. All kinds of chaos happens. And uh, all along, God's dropping clues. 700 years before Jesus. David was about 1,000 years before Jesus. I'll give you a little timeline here. Isaiah said these words. You've heard these words. This is what God said to Isaiah the prophet. Tell the people this. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne. Hmm, That's the prophecy. And over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That's about Jesus. That's 700 years out. And the people are going, he's coming? He's coming? Now keep going. Micah, uh, prophet Micah, but you, Bethlehem, Epaphrath, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. The Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. Oh, that was hundreds of years out. But what happened is David's ancestors, after they heard that, ended up disobeying God. They were captured and held off in captivity, the Syrian captivity and then the Babylonian captivity. How, how long were they in Babylon? 
Please, God, we learned our lesson. Let us go home. Okay, soon. How soon? In 70 years, they were held in captivity. 70 years. Now, when you get to the, the story of Jesus and the birth of the Bible, can I show you a verse? It might just fly by you. Can I show you something that God wants you to see? It's Matthew chapter 1. It's going to come up. It's verse 17. Listen, listen. I started the story with Abraham. I ended with Jesus. Listen, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, the captivity, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. That's why the genealogy begins the story of Jesus. You've got to understand this story is a long building story. 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations. So you hear all that, you can only reach two conclusions. There's only two that you can reach. Number one, God is not in a hurry. He's just not in a hurry. Why are you not, God? He's not in a hurry. And number two, you cannot avoid this conclusion. Time means something different to God than it means to us. God is not in a hurry because God doesn't need to be in a hurry. God's not in a hurry because he's not serving time. Time is serving him. Let that soak in. He's not answering the time. Come on, get it done. Like time is his boss, his authority. No, no, he's the authority of time. He'll work time as he wants to work time. We've been told this before in our last series on James. I reminded you of this. 2 Peter 3 8 says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Now, look, look. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. I'd be one who'd challenge that. Because he seems so slow. He goes, No, he's not slow. He seems slow. No, he's perfectly on time. He's totally in charge of time. Time works for him, he doesn't work for time. Time serves God. God doesn't serve time. Now, with all of this said, i got to show you something and we'll close. Take your Bible, open your Bible to Luke chapter 2. I want to show you something that I think is so cool. Now, again, we're not going down all this today, so don't worry. I want to show you just two passages there in Luke chapter 2. So I was going to tell you at the very beginning to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, but I knew I wouldn't get there until the very end, and you'd be going, how long is he going to go? So I didn't do that to you. So I'm going to close now in Luke chapter 2. So in Luke chapter 2, there's a couple of passages I just want to show you. Now, before I read that, I want to show you something from the book of Galatians. You don't need to look this up. I put this up on the screen. Can I show you something interesting about the birth of Jesus? Let me show you. Galatians 4.4. Catch this line. But when the set time had fully come, when the set time, time had fully come God sent his son born of a woman born under the law God goes now now it's ready now this it's all set 14 generations 14 generations but now the time the set time the time before time when God planned all this when the right time came Jesus came now you might look at it and go well, gee, why'd you come then why, why then? Why there? Why not here? Why not now? No, it's not a set time. The plan of God was there and then. 
So let me just show you, Digging, we'll do this very quickly. Let me show you just a couple passages that I think are fascinating in the story of the birth of Jesus. Okay, two, I want to show you. Look at verses four to seven in Luke chapter two. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. Wait, what? Yeah, remember that? In the lineage of David, in the lineage of Abraham. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, which is where the prophet Micah said, turn your eyes to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. And we went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came, see it? The time came for the baby to be born. The set time had fully come. It's time. And it's not going to happen up in Nazareth. It's going to happen here in Bethlehem. Because I'm calling a census through the governor of literally of the Roman world. We're going to get you to Bethlehem. You're going to need to be there. The time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. You know that story. Now I'll show you something else in Luke chapter 2. Go farther down. Go down to verse 22. I want to show you something cool. In chapter 22, this is after Jesus is born. They're in, they're in Bethlehem, Jerusalem. They're in the, they have not gone to Egypt. That's what you, it's right after he's born, right after Jesus is born. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting, waiting for the consolation of Israel. What's the consolation of Israel? The hope of Israel. God's answer for the problem of Israel. God's future revelation. He's, he's an old man. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. God goes, go there. When the parents... Mary and Joseph brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms, this is Jesus, and praised God, saying, watch this, watch this, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Abraham was promised this all those thousands of years ago. And here he is. I'm holding him. The child's father and mother marveled what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And, and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul. He says that to Mary. You know what he saw? He saw the crucifixion of this little baby. And Mary, get ready. Incredible. So here, here's the big idea of this message, right? Here it comes. God uses waiting to develop and define our character. You, you wouldn't be who God wants you to be if you got everything you want right when you want it. God, no, no, no. God goes, well, there's a lot of development that takes place in waiting. And it will make you. 
I, so I think you could say this statement. If you can't wait on God, your faith will be destroyed. If you can wait on God, your faith will be developed. Developed or destroyed. Waiting will be the defining difference. We would argue waiting, it seems like painful, like it's suffering. We suffer when we wait. You know, they expected Jesus right then and there when he became a man to become the Messiah and overthrow Rome. They wanted to make him king, and he said no. They wanted to make him ruler, and he said no. They crucified him. Before they crucified him, he said, now listen, I'm going to go back to the Father, but I will return. And they go, when? Soon. Soon. I will return. Folks, our problem has been 2,000 years. And we go, we've been waiting for 2,000 years. Waiting will destroy your faith or it will develop your faith. Jesus is coming back. Could God be doing something in us in the waiting? John Ortberg said it this way, biblically, waiting is not just something we have to do until we get what we want. Waiting is part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. God's in charge. He's developing us. So God uses waiting to develop and define our character. Now, I want to close this message with one last story. This comes from the writings of a guy named Henry Nouwen, a profound writer, profound man since died and went to be with Jesus. But in one of his writings, he tells the story of something I just want to close this message with because I think it's fascinating. It's a story of a group of trapeze artists. They're known as the Flying Rodellas, all right? You can look them up. The Flying Rudellas. And uh, he tells of a conversation he had with these people in the circus that were in the trapeze. They're trapeze artists. They're flying Rudellas. You've seen. And um, they, they were explaining to him. This is fascinating. He says, we got to explain something. Because he's going, how do you know when to let go? And how do you know they're going to... And, and how do you have the faith? And he said, well, there's a very, very special relationship that exists between the person who is known as the flyer and the person who is known as the catcher. Now, the flyer is the guy that's on the thing swinging back and forth, and he has to have the sense of timing and, and trust to let go of the bar because he's literally going to arch his back and he's going to go sailing through the air. And, and then there's going to be this guy over here called the catcher who's hanging from his knees. You can picture this. He's hanging from his knees going back and forth. And then they said to Henry now and they said this sentence uh, and by the way before they did he said that the flyer has to remain as still as possible once he lets go of the bar he's holding on to okay and then they said this the flyer must never try to catch the catcher the flyer must wait in absolute trust the catcher will catch him but he must wait until he does. So God, I got to let go and just be patient and trust that you'll get me in the end? Yeah. You're the flyer. I'm the catcher. going to involve some timing that's going to involve some trusting guy goes yeah 
This is going to develop your faith or it's going to destroy your faith. God goes, trust me, I got you. So whatever you're waiting on for God, relax. God's got you. Let me pray. Okay, God, thanks for the story. Thanks for the developing of the history. God, you're so particular and you're so meticulous in detail. It's incredible, the perfection of time. I read this and I just marvel. And then I look at how impatient I can become. Just driving down the street, I can become so impatient. It's such a hurry. Yeah, you never are because you don't ever need to be because nothing's ever out of control with you. You got it. You've always had it. So God, give us the peace that you have in our hearts. And I pray for us as we develop our faith through this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for being here. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our hope is that you are left inspired and challenged to continue to grow in your faith. If you are looking for more from Central, follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. See you next time. Until then, go be the church.